had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio. children can live are to go into the dark. We must either love each other or we must die. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. Welcome back to the Journalista Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Estep. That was the campaign commercial that scared America into re-electing Lyndon Baines Johnson to the presidency back in 1964. A little girl is counting the petals on a daisy as the atom bomb explodes in the background. The Cold War was real. The U.S. and the Soviet Union were on a collision course to destroy the world. It was terrifying. It was also our normal. I remember my elementary school running drills and practicing getting under our desks in case San Diego was hit with a nuclear warhead. Not sure it would have made much of a difference. Of course, today our kids practice hiding from a lone gunman with an AR-15. You told me once that you might have saved the world from nuclear holocaust. Well, maybe not the world and maybe not nuclear, but for sure we averted what could have been a devastating war for a poor country in Latin America. Well, tell me about that. First, we had gone on a junket, not a very memorable junket. I remember Juan Tamayo from the Miami Herald was there, another journalist, myself. And we all got back to Managua, and we all got sick. And, of course, we always attribute it to dirty water, not the right food. And so I was starting to get very sick, nauseous. I wasn't feeling right. I think the day after we got back, there were some rumors about some possible Russian armament, in particular MiG aircraft, that could quite possibly be headed to Nicaragua. And of course, that was a very dangerous premise. The New York Times wrote this about the rumors. U.S. warned Soviets it won't tolerate MiGs in Nicaragua. The United States, concerned that a Soviet freighter that has reached Nicaragua might be carrying advanced fighter aircraft, warned Moscow on Tuesday that it would not tolerate the delivery of such planes. President Reagan said that if the Nicaraguans took delivery of advanced aircraft, it would, quote, indicate that they are contemplating being a threat to their neighbors here in the Americas. It wasn't DEFCON 1, but this wasn't the first time a Russian shipment threatened the balance of power in the Western Hemisphere. 
Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. That was President John F. Kennedy. You may have heard of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The United States put a naval blockade around Cuba, stopping the Soviets from delivering nuclear warheads to Fidel Castro. U.S. military leaders were pushing for a full-on invasion of Cuba. A fucking terrible idea. Kennedy opted for diplomacy. And after 13 tense days in October, he and the Soviet leader, Nikita Khrushchev, agreed to back down. It was the closest the world has ever come to nuclear war. That we know of. Scary shit. In Nicaragua, history seemed to be repeating itself. So, of course, everybody wants to find out, is the rumor true? And, you know, how do you find out about that? I mean, you have to literally see the aircraft coming in. At that point, I'd already gone to see a doctor. The doctor had told me, your gallbladder has to come out. We need to do surgery on you. And I'm like, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. We're in a war-torn zone. We're in a third-world country. I'm just not comfortable. And, by the way, I'm working on this story. As I'm getting sicker... The doctor says, well, we have to treat you somehow. And he hooks me up to an IV. And the IV is hooked up to a wooden hat rack that I had gotten my driver to put wheels on it so I could be wheeling myself back and forth. And I'm thinking this is going to make me feel better. Well, it, it didn't. I, of course, let New York know and Miami know this possibility of Russian weaponry coming in. We don't know how, but the State Department had called CBS. CBS obviously knew that I had close contacts with the Sandinista government, the hierarchy, but we still don't know how the State Department knew. So the State Department calls New York, tells New York, can you get in touch with Cookie, have her call Ortega's people, and see if we can avert this problem, possibly a major problem. So CBS calls me, can you get in touch? I said, sure. So I get in touch with Ortega's press guy, Manuel Espinoza, and I tell him, listen, there's rumors about this big aircraft coming in. The State Department of the U.S. is not happy with this. And I think that you should know that. They're saying there will be a problem if this weaponry makes it into Nicaragua. And Manuel's like, well, let me talk to the president. I'll get back to you. I'm talking to New York, New York's talking to the State Department, and this went on for hours. But there are legitimate fears that the United States is looking for a reason to invade Nicaragua. We attacked the island of Grenada in 1983 for far less. A Marxist newspaper called The Spartacist wrote that the invasion was imminent. As U.S. SR-71 Blackbirds smashed the sound barrier over Managua, Nicaraguans have good reason to believe the bombing will begin in five minutes. The imperialist invasion plans are already worked out in detail. Nicaragua leader Daniel Ortega said at the UN in October, the winds now blowing over Central America foretell of Holocaust for our peoples. The stakes are very high for Nicaragua, and some officials in the U.S. government fear this could lead to another Vietnam. I had been doing this the whole night thinking, I'm going to get a nice exclusive here. I'm going to get a great little story here. Well, the MiGs never came in. I like to think that I helped avert a bigger problem, which would have been a war of some sort. Like a missiles in October type thing. Yeah, like, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Probably not as dangerous as that was, but it could have been. We did all of that. We averted it all. And I still didn't get the story because we couldn't broadcast because the State Department was involved, CBS was involved, Ortega's people are involved, and I'm in the middle of the whole thing. And nobody wants that story to come out anyway, except you. I would have loved it. There was no way that New York or Miami was ever going to allow that because it would look like 
we were all accomplices. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's the State Department doing stealing with CBS. CBS and what's CBS doing telling me to go talk to insiders? So even though I did it to get the big story, I never got the big story. Did anybody get it? No, because no one knew what happened. The problem had been averted. Wow. Oh, and then CBS, as good as they are to their journalists, flew me to Miami, ambulance waiting at the airport, wheeled me in into Mount Sinai Hospital, and the receptionist says to me, girl, you sure look yellow. You must have a bad case of hepatitis. And at that point, I realized I could have died because if I would have allowed them to operate on me in Nicaragua, you cannot perform surgery on a hepatic patient because they die. I would have died, and no one would have been the wiser. So is this one of those stories that everybody decides to never talk about again? It never happened. So basically the story is, there is no story, it never happened. It never happened. That would have been huge, too. It would have been huge. The Washington Post reported this about the confrontation. U.S. officials said yesterday that no Soviet fighter jets have been unloaded from a Soviet ship now docked in a Nicaraguan port, and that they now believe the ship may not contain any of the MiG aircraft. At the same time, officials at the Pentagon and State Department sought to quiet rumors that the United States was preparing to invade Nicaragua. While the United States would consider various options to quote-unquote neutralize any MiGs, a State Department official said the idea of a general offensive is quote-unquote Nonsense. Years later, I realized the gravity of what could have happened and what we averted that day. Did it ever cross your mind that somehow the State Department determined that you were someone they could talk to? Yeah, well, we always kind of wondered how they knew that. But we know how our government works, and I'm sure they were very well-versed in my activities, you know, what I was up to at any given moment. It's kind of scary in a way. It was. So the U.S. State Department used Cookie to stave off a major Cold War confrontation in Central America. Her power and influence are at an all-time high. The question is, what will she do with it? I knew I was a powerful person, just personality-wise, even before all of this, through the drug days, through the modeling days, through all of it. As far as wielding power, Yes, I started to realize that I could get anything I wanted. I could get in and out of anything I wanted. If Dan Rather or Mike Wallace or Don Hewitt wanted something, they knew Cookie was going to get it for them, one way or another. I could charm the shit out of anybody. One person told me that you were like a mob boss uh, who was collecting (laughs) favors. (laughs) Not intentionally. And I never really had to say, look, I did this for you. You got to do this for me. It was just sort of understood because it wasn't just contacts and it just wasn't powerful government people on either side and in different countries. I also helped my own crews and colleagues. Whatever had to be done, whether it was carrying tripods, carrying equipment, helping them if they had a hangover, bringing them to the airport, picking them up from the, making their lives just out and out comfortable. You know, happy wife, happy life. Well, my motto was happy cruise, happy journalists, happy cookie, and happy New York. And I will take that a step further. Obviously, the networks were all competitors. I wasn't like that. Of course, I'm not going to give away my exclusives, but I helped other crews in other networks. You could always count on Cookie giving us a ride. Or if we don't have tapes, she can give us tapes. If our machines went down, she'll let us use her machines. But then it also extended to outside the TV network circle. Anybody that was in my life, friends, relatives, if I needed them to work, I made sure they got work. The drivers, I spread the wealth. Meet Alejandro Belli, one of Cookie's best friends, and her assistant at the CBS office in Managua, a.k.a. Chilene. She would get quite a bit of money. It would always come in cash, in dollars. A driver would get $100 a day. 
when normally, you know, if they were hired by a private family, he would maybe would be making $20 a month. So it was this huge gap. I was graduated from American University working in the health ministry. I started making $14 and ended up making $17 a month. And I was making $100 with cookie in a day. In that same way, she would have, I don't know, somebody takes care of Chicho, somebody that does our nails and does our, you know, manicures and pedicures and come there at the office, you know, you know, she'll tip her well. And she, she's very generous. I had a cousin work for me. I had close friends, but I wasn't paying them to do nothing. They pulled their own weight. Sure, I spread the wealth. But they had to report for duty. Yeah, Shalene said that you had it figured out where you could have three or four or sometimes five drivers working consistently, and they were getting paid $100 a day for the most In dollars, which was like as if I was paying them in gold bars. The way he put it, though, is it was almost calculated how you could help as many people as possible. As many people as possible. And people like Chiling, people like my cousin Hilda, people like my brother Jimmy, they all worked for their money. But I just made sure that that money was spread as far as I could. You're in a war zone. People are hurting. Everybody could use money. I made sure everyone, drivers and helpers and, and maids, were raising whole families. And that was my go-to amount, $100 a day. She keeps her allies in a way, you know, she was able to really reward them. She doesn't buy them, but she rewards her loyalties. That was just an extension of the way I've always been in my life. I think Shalene called it. A comfortable scam. A comfortable scam. I love that. And of course, my theme song was Comfortably Numb. <laughs> For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. In terms of what this meant for the drivers, it's they were able to send kids to education, have a change schools, have a better car, have a decent house, keep another mistress, you know? <laughs> Listen, Steve, everybody around me made money. Halfway for altruistic reasons and halfway because these are people that are helping me do my job. Their payback to me was helping me get the best stories and the best work coming out of CBS Latin America as possible. We can talk about all the good things with journalism and all the things like that that you, you were able to accomplish and help other people accomplish. And I know you, you had your reasons for paying people well, and, and that, that's good business. But when you look back at that and think about how many people you affected in a positive way, how does that feel? Let's put it to you this way. Two things I'm going to say. They all hated seeing the war end because they all really made their lives because of war. And number two, how did I feel? It felt good, Steve, just like it felt good before the war, just like it feels good even today. It makes you feel good. So many lives were able to be touched in such a positive way. I still hear from these people 30 and 40 years later. They all say, every one of them I've interviewed, they all say they still get a birthday card. They still get a Christmas card. They still get a note. They still get a thought. Sympathy cards. And money. I want to go on record right now saying that if my cat goes to the vet. I send I, you a card. <laughs> sometimes with a gift certificate. <laughs> Cookie takes care of her people. I know because I'm one of them. After the break, she takes it to another level. We'll be right back. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Welcome back. This story is fucking insane. There are several versions, all of them dangerous, all of them hilarious. I'm going to tell you the funniest version. Remember that time at the airport when you forgot you had a joint in your backpack and you're sweating bullets watching it go through the TSA scanner and you just know you're going to freaking jail? It's like that, except you're in a third world country in the middle of a civil war. You talk a lot about security going in and out of these buildings and that type of thing. Do you ever have any close calls? Yes. We had a great close call. I could say great now. We're being summoned with all the other journalists to a press conference. Not a big one. You, a dog and pony show, which we used to call them. Uh, I'm sure the Sandinistas thought it was going to be a big, important press conference. We knew it wasn't. And it was going to be held at the Ministry of Defense. And then after the press conference, I had been given the okay for an exclusive interview with the defense minister, which was President Ortega's brother, Umberto Ortega. And this guy didn't give interviews. He, you know, was a very quiet guy, secretive, obviously, because he's the head of defense and they're at war. Was there a purpose for the interview? No, we were just wanted an interview with him. Whenever I thought that I wanted something extra or exclusive, it didn't hurt to ask because all they could do is say no. But most of the time they said yes. It would always give CBS the upper hand. So we knew we were going to do that after. So we're there. I'm with my favorite Cuban-American crew, Manny and George Boza. I loved working with these guys. It was one of those where it was a big press conference. Everyone was invited, you know, and those were very few and far between. So when they did that, everyone showed up. They would take us into a room and they'd make us drop all our gear. And then they had the dogs, the German shepherds and their, you know, secret police. And they would go through your stuff. They search the equipment. They search the journalists, make sure there are no bombs or weapons that, you know, something unexpected could happen. So standard operating procedure. SOP. So we all filed in, and I had a journalist vest where I carried my tapes and my microphones and some cables, my passport, cash, and all that. George wore this little vest that was a photographer vest. I'm sure you've seen the ones that have some little pockets. And He wore that thing every day. That thing, if he would have set it down, it would have walked away by itself. 
So we had been up the night before. We'd been partying. We just thought we'd just work all the way through from partying, go straight to equipment check, which was you had to be there around six in the morning. They always keep you for hours. We knew we could take a nap and sleep while we're waiting. So you're saying that you were, you guys were up partying all night and went straight to the defense minister? Yeah, because it was across the street from the hotel, literally. So you never slept that night? We didn't sleep, which is not, not normal. It was pretty, you know, normal for us to do. The night before, I had been with a friend of mine that had gotten me some, some weed. And to get weed in Managua is not an easy thing to do. You know, it's, it's hard. It's not bad. But it's not the greatest either. So it's rare and it's, you treat it like, like gold. You know, it's, it's very uh, valuable. I remember George sitting up in his little bed, putting a cigarette in his mouth, lighting that, and then rolling a joint while he smoked that cigarette. And it was kind of one of those moments where you go, oh, shit, man. So, you know, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. Whatever. We had many hours before we had to do this. We all file in and we walk into this giant room and the cameramen put their cameras and tripods down. I put down my recorder. I put down my backpack with all my batteries and stuff. And then I dropped my vest because the soldier said to me, we need to see the vest too because you can put a lot of stuff in it. So I drop it and we all file out. And as soon as we file out, George comes up to me and he's literally pale, like white as a ghost, man. And I said, well, what's up, man? What, you know? And he says, Manny, I, uh, I forgot to take the weed out of my little vest. Boza looks at me with this look of fear. And I was like, okay. Now you have to understand, they were always scared because being Cuban-Americans, they were fearful that the Sandinistas, if they ever got in trouble, you know, would throw them in jail and throw away the key. The reason it was so scary for me is because my passport says born in Cuba, okay, not born in the U.S. It's a U.S. passport, but it says born in Havana. And the first time I landed there, the Sandinista soldier at the airport, when he took my 75 bucks, the tax to come in, he said, you left Cuba to laugh at the revolution. If they catch us with drugs, we're done. You know, again, two Miami Cubans with drugs, you know, that would have been headline news in, in Nicaragua. Cookie's like, wow, let me see what I can do. So she disappears behind the door, and then she cracks the door open a bit and says, Bosa, get in here and get it really quick. So I slide in. I may believe that I'm looking through my vest, and I grab a battery, and then I grab that, and I crushed it in my hand so nobody could see it, and I walk out. I said to Bosa, we got to get rid of it. So I take the bag, I put it down my pants. Manny also knows what's going on. He's not scared because Manny is pretty fearless, but he knew that this could be a problem. It could be a brouhaha, somebody could lose their job, and I just wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah, like CBS wouldn't be happy about it. Of course not. Here's one of their crew caught with drugs. We don't know what type of scandal that would be. I'm going to take care of it. Put it in my pants, ask where's the bathroom to one of the security police there. And I go in the bathroom and I start to flush it down the toilet. We, you got to understand we're in a third world country. I know I keep repeating this. It's during a war. The facilities are not top notch like here in the United States. I don't know how many third world bathrooms that you've been to. I have been to quite a few. And that was one of the worst. So as I'm flushing it down the toilet, and it's several times I'm flushing, I gotta make sure it goes, the toilet gets backed up, and the weed starts coming back up and overflowing. And anyone that's overflowed a toilet knows what I'm talking about. But it's usually not for weed in a military state. <laughs> and it is now all over the floor. And I'm trying to pick it up. The toilet is backed up. I know I can't get anything else down there. Whatever got down and went, fine. But there's a lot of it out, floating in the toilet and floating on the floor. So I stick my head out the door and tell the security guy, look, I'm sick. I've got a bad stomach. I said, I'm 
I'm having an accident in here. I need you to get me some towels. I don't think there were paper towels in those days. Just get me some rags, anything you can so I can clean up this mess. And of course, he doesn't want to go in because he figures it's another kind of mess. So I clean up as much as I can and I take it all and put it back in my pants. Because I figure, okay, if anybody's going to get caught, it's going to be me. The crew, they're okay. They're safe. I had already told them, you admit to nothing. Anything happens, I'm going to take the fall. Because Cookie, as you know by now, can get in and out of anything. I'm kind of damp down there. But of course, I attribute it to being sick. By this point, I'm in that bathroom 30 minutes, maybe more. So security's getting a little... Not nervous, but they're kind of like wondering, what the hell's going on? How sick is this girl? The guy sticks his head in, knocks first, sticks his head in. Are you okay in there? I'm okay. I'll be out in a minute. So I come out. I got it back in my pants. I just continue to tell Manny and George, no worries. I got this. I got you. You admit to nothing. If anything happens, you just, you're shocked. I'll take the fall. No worries. And even if they would have been caught with it, I would have never allowed anything to happen to them either because that's just the way I was with my guys, you know? I just took care of everybody. We went on to do the press conference. We went on to do the interview with Humberto Ortega, and nobody was the wiser. But y'all got shit-faced after that. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. That was a close call. I know that George, he'll never forget it. He thinks that you saved his ass that day. And I've let him think that. But again, I would have never let anything bad happen to him. I would have taken the blame before I would have let anything happen. Because maybe they did have a viable fear, you know. Yet again, Cookie got away with it. And got the story. And got the story. Didn't you tell me that that scene reminded you of something? Yeah. When you tell me that story, it always reminds me of Lucy in the uh, Chocolate Factory. All right, girls. Now, this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. You know, trying to grab the chocolates and they keep coming and coming. And just, I can just see you over the toilet trying to grab the weed, stick it back in, flush it. It's coming back up over and over. I, I just see that in my head. To me, if that's not a scene in a movie or a TV series, I don't yeah. know what will be. And you're right. It was like that. Insanity. It's fucking hilarious. But at the moment, I knew it was insanity, but I wasn't laughing. I laughed later, but not at the moment. I can only imagine the look on Boza's face. When I came out wet, <laughs> in my in front of my pants. I mean, he probably said, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> like you don't want to know. And I couldn't go into details. Yeah, I said, you don't want to know. Yeah, it was bad. But again, it was funny. Now, Cookie and I laugh about that. And we laugh until our sides hurt. But in the moment, it wasn't a good time. One of those things that you never, you never forget. Another day in the lives of a camera crew for CBS News in Nicaragua. Coming up, the after party blows up on her favorite cameraman and a good friend from another news agency faces an unthinkable tragedy. We'll be right back. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. 
Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Combat news is a dangerous business. It's life or death. That takes its toll on the men and women who bring it to our evening news. Far from home and their families, they have to deal with it day after day, one way or another. It can be a lot of fun, but can also be heartbreaking. It's like going to a company convention in Vegas, but people are shooting at you. So forgive me, but what happens in Managua stays in Managua. We've already said it before, we worked hard, we partied harder. Within the foreign war correspondence group, I'm going to throw these numbers out there. Three-fourths of us partied hard. By partying, you mean like heavy drinking and drugs. And drugs. Manny Alvarez, CBS cameraman, weighs in on the party culture at CBS News Managua. The hotel was party central. So after we were done working, we would all go to the office and whatever jobs had to be done there, screening the tapes, whatever, and the party would begin. When Manny would come to town, it would just make my existence wonderful because I had my brother, my friend, my colleague, all rolled up into one. And we'd always get the story done. We were all very professional getting the story. And so come end of story and back at the hotel, you know, we'd start the partying. And I remember Cookie had a little picnic basket that was instead of little sandwiches, she had bottles of, you know, vodka or whatever it was, wine. And, and you know, we got high. And if not every night, several nights a week. Manny would always be the life of the party extraordinaire. And he was funny, silly, you know, all the the adjectives that go with somebody that's a little too inebriated. Usually did not get out of hand. I mean, if you got shit-faced, you went to your room, no big deal. Somebody would take you to your room. He would paint his face or he would let us paint his face and we'd sing, we'd dance. But then Manny would always take it just a little bit further. That one night, and it was myself, Rob Lachey, who was an editor. And I think there was a third person, if I remember correctly. Not that I should remember because I was completely out of my mind. We decided that we were going to have a fight with the fire extinguishers that were in the hallways of the hotel. And the fire extinguishers were those big giant ones, like from back in the day, with the wheel on top. And they had a rubber hose, you know, probably a couple of feet long. And they had what seemed to be water in it. So that was some kind of liquid that squirted like water. And with that hose, you could squirt that 10 feet, I don't know, 8 feet, 12 feet. So we were running up and down the hallways, squirting each other. And he was spraying gas, doors of gas. At one point, I find myself right in front of the elevator. The doors open. There's a couple dressed up to go out. I squirted them. And I mean, I hosed them up and down. They screamed, the elevator closed, and I, of course, went running down the hallway to do whatever to whoever else. And at some point, somebody called the cops. There had been too many complaints and enough complaints that the hotel couldn't keep it quiet. Because the hotel, you got to remember, was our ally. Because they're making millions off of all the journalists, and especially CBS, because not only we had our offices, but I lived there. I had my own slew of suites. Turns out the well-dressed couple, Manny super-soaked in the elevator, was the Russian ambassador and his wife. Kind of a big deal. Possibly an international incident. 
We don't know what's going to happen, if they're going to put him in jail, if they're going to deport him, whatever. We grab Manny. I take him to my personal suite. You know, I hide him. And I tell him, Manny, for once, please just listen to me and shut the fuck up. Please don't say anything. No matter what happens, just follow my lead. And again, I was gone. And I had literally war paint. I had paint in my face and a shirt with CBS on it. So the cops showed up. We still don't know if the intent was to arrest him or deport him or both. So they come up and we're talking to the police. They come to my living quarters. They said, we're going to search. You're not searching my quarters, I said. You could search CBS offices, but you're not searching my personal quarters. There's no one in there. My children are sleeping. They weren't. They weren't there. They, they had their own rooms with their nannies. Manny stayed quiet. As soon as they left, Rob and myself said, we're going to get him out of here. We're going to take him to the Camino Real, which was the other hotel where journalists stayed. This is where George Boza, the CBS soundman, enters the story. The Red Sox and the Mets, 1987 World Series. Can you believe this ball game is shame? Oh, brother. Three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bat. The ball goes through Buckner's legs. I was at the Camino. Manny was with Cookie. Manny isn't a baseball fan. So everyone was in my room. We had the bathtub full of Tonias and, you know, and Imperiales, and we're drinking and having a great time. That game was up and down the whole way. Like about one of the last innings, Cookie calls me. She's like, hey, Boza, listen, Manny's out of control here at the hotel, man. I mean, I don't know what to do with them, okay? I'm going to send them over to the Camino because they're going to kick them out of the hotel and, and this was just typical back then, you know. She snuck him down the elevator, snuck him out a back door. Cookie put him in a, in a cab, and he gets to the Camino, and I go out to the drive-up. Man, he gets out in his underwear, man, with, like, Cookie's lipstick all over his face. And he's like, I don't understand why they threw me out of the hotel. So we threw a blanket on him and put him in, in our room. And this was just typical back then, you know, because, yeah, when, when you got friends and you got people that are dying, you know, and, and you're risking your life every day, you tend to really medicate heavily. That was one of those nights that Manny medicated. <laughs> I never got caught. I didn't get caught later. They didn't call me later. Uh, though I'm sure if they would have caught me that particular night, it would have been the end of my career at that point in time. And it wasn't just us. It wasn't like, oh, the CBS people were all maniacs. It was everybody. You know, that's kind of how we blew off steam when we got back from whatever missions that we would go on. We were just journalists suffering from PTSD already, letting it all out, partying and covering war, death, and all the wonderful things that come with that. Cookie always steps up to keep her boys out of trouble. But sometimes the war catches up with you. A bullshit press conference in a bullshit border town called Lapenka changes everything. Under the guise of journalists for many years, even at the press club and everything, you had so-called journalists, and they were actually part of terrorist groups. The Red Brigade from Italy, Sendero Luminosos from Peru, Bader Meinhof gang from Germany. And we didn't know that they were terrorists. So they were hanging out in Managua, They were hanging too. out because... They were probably fleeing, somebody chasing them. They were given safe haven in Nicaragua, and they were told to play like they were journalists. So at any given moment, unbeknownst to most of us, we were hanging out with these terrorists. So you were partying with terrorists? Yeah. Not all the time, but they could be at parties, you know, press parties, journalists. We found out later on, you know, even Iranian terrorist groups. They were all there, IRA was there. The Japanese, I forget what they're called. Yeah, the ones who poisoned everyone. Yeah. I mean, they were all there because Nicaragua was a safe haven for terrorists. So anybody that was against the U.S., they were welcome in Managua. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. There you go. Now, what La Penca was all about, it was different. It was in Costa Rica. Yeah, it was right over the border. It was a press conference being held by Eden Pastora, who had initially started off as a Sandinista in the early days. Eden Pastora was one of the heroes of the 1979 Sandinista Revolution. 
They called him Commander Zero, a nickname he earned when he masterminded one of the most daring raids ever documented. The Washington Post wrote this about the attack. About 20 leftist guerrillas shot their way into the National Palace yesterday and seized about 50 senators and other officials as hostages. At least three persons were reported killed in the firing before National Guard troops surrounded the palace. The guerrillas lined up the hostages along the large windows of the building to ward off fire from the National Guard. Among the 1,500 officials being held were several cabinet members and Somoza's half-brother, Jose Somoza, an off-and-on journalist, Nobel Prize-winning novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez, wrote this about the siege. The plan seemed too simple to be sane. Take the National Palace in Managua in broad daylight with a force of only 26 and hold the members of the House of Deputies hostage in exchange for the release of all political prisoners. Leadership of the Sandinista National Liberation Front did not consider the storming of this marketplace of bureaucracy insanely simple, but just the opposite, a crazy masterstroke. The plan, in fact, had been conceived and proposed initially in 1970 by the experienced militant Eden Pastora. But it was only put into effect when it became all too clear that the U.S. had decided to help Somoza remain on his bloodstained throne until 1981. He has been an active revolutionary militant for the past 20 years. Pastora's marvelous sense of humor cannot obscure his aptitude for command. His earliest memory from the age of seven was the death of his father, murdered by the National Guard of Anastasio Somoza Garcia. If the name isn't familiar, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is a Colombian author best known for two of my favorite novels, 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera. He clearly had a bromance with Eden Pastora. Eden Pastora was going to give the press conference. Many journalists were there. Not the big networks. We, we weren't there. In the background, what we don't know, there's a plot. There's a plot to blow up and kill Pastora. And if a couple of journalists are killed along the way, oh well. Pierre Anker Hansen, a Danish photographer, was introduced to a Swedish journalist by mutual friends, asking to show him around. They attended Pastora's press conference together. Hansen put a bomb in his camera bag, worked his way through the journalists covering the event, set it down under a table, then hurried away, setting it off with a walkie-talkie. Ripped through the gathering, killing seven people and leaving dozens injured. It was a bloodbath. The Washington Post covered the story the next day. A bomb exploded last night during a news conference being held by Nicaraguan rebel leader Eden Pastora along the Nicaraguan-Costa Rican border, wounding Pastora and two dozen others and killing two journalists, including one American and two rebels. Among the dead were Linda Frazier, 38, of Portland, Oregon, who worked for the Costa Rican English daily The Tico Times. No one claimed responsibility for the blast, which occurred shortly after Pastora had begun an evening news conference in his jungle headquarters at the Nicaraguan village of La Penca. The remote village on the banks of the San Juan River is not reachable by road, and the reporters had traveled by dugout canoe from Costa Rica. Some Costa Rican officials accused Nicaragua's ruling Sandinistas of responsibility. Leaders of the rebel group initially accused the CIA, which has been at odds with Pastora. Everyone assumed that it was the U.S. behind it, that it was the U.S. that bombed it to make it look like the Sandinistas did. It was always a cat and mouse game. You know, you never really knew who was who, who was doing something, for what reasons they were doing it. It was a very dangerous game to be in. And of course, being in dangerous games was my thing. That had always been my fear, and I've told you about that fear, that I could be assassinated or killed by one side trying to make the other side look like they had done me in. It could be even friends unknowingly doing this because the Swedish dude that did it was under the influence of dark people. I don't think he was even clear who he was working for. Many years later, the Swedish journalist revealed that he was introduced to Hansen by Sandinista intelligence agents. He knew they were spies, but didn't know that Hansen the bomber was really Argentine terrorist, Vital Roberto Ganguin, hired by the Sandinistas to take out Pastora. Sadness and guilt dogged him for the rest of his life. For Cookie, the attack hit close to home. 
Up until that point, journalists really had not been killed inside of Nicaragua. It was probably the least dangerous war to be around, unlike El Salvador or Honduras, where journalists were regularly killed. Some of our own colleagues were killed. Joe Frazier, that worked for Associated Press, his wife was there. She was one of the ones killed. A journalist. Yeah, she was a journalist. He happened to be in Nicaragua, of course, in my office with me. She sat up with me all night long. As we tried to find out any information we could, she was really there when I needed somebody. And here's a guy, 6'5", big guy. I have to break the news to him that his wife has been killed. And I remember him collapsing on me and me trying to keep him up. We were up all night crying and, you know, trying to figure things out. She was always there when you needed somebody and she always knew what was going on and she would usually tell you. Some people were firstly almost paranoidly competitive down there. Cookie wasn't like that. She was the consummate pal and she meant it. We were all basically on the same team. We also were just helped each other out and Cookie was right at the top of that list. I'd never forgotten that. On the anniversary of Linda's murder, uh, she always sends a card. I had this thing, and you know by now from several episodes, that I always liked taking care of my boys. And I took care of everybody. Cameramen, soundmen, editors, producers, on-air talent, writers, big stars. At 60 minutes, I took care of everybody. Lepenka was a wake-up call for Cookie and her colleagues. A painful reminder that war is a dangerous place, and you are never really safe, no matter how hard you party trying to forget. Next time on Journalista, Cookie walks into a minefield, and the shrapnel is coming from every direction. I hear some screaming and some arm flailing from one of the soldiers saying, stop, 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 don't take another step, don't move. When somebody tells you that in a war zone, you stop. And one of the soldiers says, uh, I hate to say this, but you're in a minefield. The Journalista podcast features the stories and voice of Cookie Hood, narrated by Stephen Esteb, produced by Sean J. Donnelly, executive producers Jason Wagensback, Roy Laughlin, and Ellen Kay, iHeart executive producer Tyler Klang, written and edited by Stephen Esteb, music by Jay Weigel, Associate producer and sound design, Stephen Tonti. Sound mixing by Jesse Solon Snyder. Special guests, Lloyd Schur, Cindy Pohl, Alejandro Belli, George Boza, Manny Alvarez, Jose Torres-Tama as Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and Joe Frazier. Special thanks to Esplanade Studios, The Ranch Studios, Jason Gervitz, Kyle Frederick, Zach Slaff. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.